Hey, Dog Speak Geeks. Do you ever feel frustrated? Well, your dog does. Frustration occurs when an animal is interrupted in reaching their goals. Unfortunately, this occurs all too often in the modern world when a dog's goals do not align with those of their human companion. This can be a source of distress for both you and your dog, but it can also lead to the development of problem behaviors and can damage the relationship that you have with your dog. But we have answers for you. Join us for a two-day in-person seminar October 5th and 6th with instruction by Daniel Shaw. Daniel Shaw is an animal behaviorist with a background in animal behavior, psychology, and neuroscience. He will be talking about what frustration is and how it can be identified, the difficulty of conventional approaches in resolving frustration, what influences the value of rewards, as well as supporting frustrated dogs and building frustration tolerance. You can buy early bird tickets now until August the 5th, and be sure that you join us for our pre-seminar social Friday evening where you can meet Daniel and the Dog Speak team. We look forward to seeing you October 5th and 6th in Nashville, Tennessee for the Neuroscience of Resolving Frustration in Dogs seminar. Before we start this episode, we want to let our listeners know that this episode discusses trauma and abuse. Hope you're having a great week. How you doing, Britt? I'm good. How are you? I am hanging in there. Like a hair in a biscuit. Like a hair. That's disgusting. It's so gross. And every time I say it, that I want to so take gross. it back like, I don't know why you do that. Because it's just what you do here in the South. Wow. Well, you say that gross little. Do we go into the, I've been busier than a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. It's that or a. Uh, one arm paper hanger. You ask somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Ask somebody how they're doing. They say rougher than a cob. That's my favorite. Wow, that that's amazing. That's my favorite. Um, we're going to probably be throwing a few of these at you guys during this episode to lighten things up. To lighten things up because this is going to be a rough episode. It's heavy. It's going to be heavy, and it's going to have multiple parts because mm-hmm. there's a lot to talk about. I am going to do a better job at slowing down because I get really excited when I talk and I really want to slow down because I want you guys to really want to make sure you have time to ingest. We'll see if I can slow down, ingest this information that we're throwing out there. Yeah. And I think it's okay if we split this into, I think we on uh, social media said this would be two parts. It, it, it might be four, like bear with us. It really, I just read through the notes a little while ago uh, that you put together and and that's just the part one. And notes. that's yeah. And that, it's it's so, heavy. It's hard. It um, is. It's it's a lot to digest. And like we said in the beginning, you know, trigger warning. This is about trauma, and not just. I mean, obviously, we relate it to humans, but we're going to, you know, deal. We're dealing with dogs mostly. So yes, but you will find that a lot of this is the same with humans as it is with dogs, and I know studying this that I personally felt Mm -hmm. some of the things I'm like oh okay that makes sense of why I because I've dealt with trauma and you know it's it's something that shapes your life 
Um, I have a dog now who had early on set trauma. Mm -hmm. So I say that to let you guys know that there may be times that I may make a joke about something. Just know that's how I handle things, that I like to lighten up the mood. I'm not in any way being disrespectful of anyone or any dog that's had trauma because, I mean, I've been there. Mm -hmm. I've had it. Dog has it. And so just keep that in mind because you know how we can be. Um, but but this is going to be, it's going to be emotional. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like when we're with our friend group and we're talking about our trauma and we all sort of laugh at the same time. And yes. one of us is like, damn, I told that to a coworker. And they're like, I'm so sorry that happened to right. you. And the rest of us are like, yeah, I get it. I mean, it's... It's because, you know, it's one of those things like if you don't laugh, you'll cry. Yeah. And, and so we and, sort of... I think and a lot of people do deal with emotions differently. Yeah. Some just kind of sit there and stare into space. Some laugh it off. Some cry. Or a combination Some just sit of all numb of these or, yeah, yeah, or a combination of all. Depends on the day. Yeah, yeah so, sure. um, so yeah, this is going to be this is going to be heavy, and I really, unfortunately, I'm seeing a lot of dogs that are suffering from trauma, mm-hmm. and. I, I think about what their brain goes through and what they're feeling and those emotions because I know what I felt going through my trauma and I understood what was happening. But these dogs don't necessarily understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. So they really need their owners to understand and be patient and truly give them the support that they need desperately. And not allow these dogs to stay in the state that they're in. Mm-hmm. Because it's very detrimental to their health. So this first part will be mostly about what trauma is and how it affects the brain. Um, because I truly want you guys to understand how the brain's affected. And I mean, the brain is everything from your dog being responsive to something, handle a situation. You know, it's affected when there's a trauma. So that's what we're going to get into. And um, so that's just want to give you guys just a quick, another trigger warning. This is going to cover trauma and abuse. So, um, and probably a dad joke or two. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. Yep. yep. Yeah, that's fine. It's so it's, it's going to happen. And if you need a break, take a pause, go get some fresh air and then come back and play it again. Cause you know, it's, it's tough, but I think it's super important to talk about and really important that you understand in a nerdy way what's going on. Because, you know, I can say, yeah, your dog's anxious and nervous and fearful and all that. But I really want you to understand it, mm-hmm. how the, the body and brain's affected. So uh, do you have anything to add? Do we have any, do we have any announcements? No, uh, I think we can get right into it. Okay. Well, whew, let me take a little drink here. <laughs> get a little drinky poo. How's your smoked wine? You just smoked Not real smoked, because I don't really know how to use my little smoker. But hey, I'll keep practicing, don't y'all worry. Um, And I'll get that. But I'm just having a bold cab. Just take the edge off a little bit. So, uh, yeah. To say that we're not using our best coping mechanisms would be fair. (laughs) That would be fair. It's probably not the most appropriate coping mechanism. Okay. But all right, let's go. It's part of my coping mechanism box. We're going to do our best to not make this about us. Well, we will at times because I think it's important that we 
again, give those examples that can really touch home, right? And touch base. So that's why I say it's, it's going to come back around to some human trauma. I mean, it, there's just, it has to. All right. So when we talk about trauma, um, trauma is very different than like stress. So when we talk about trauma, trauma is basically an event or a repeated event that creates a potential threat to an individual. Um, but that potential threat is to the life of the individual. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a situation that the individual can find very overwhelming and distressful. Um, the thing is, is the emphasis here is the individual. Because what one person's trauma is not another person's trauma, even if they experience the same thing. Which is, which is interesting because there is a such thing as vicarious trauma, mm-hmm. where you can witness something that didn't happen to you that can cause trauma to you. But what you're saying is two organisms can be in the same situation. Yes. And not process it the same way. Correct. One can come out of there trauma-based, with a trauma-based issue, Mm -hmm. and the other one can come out of there fine. And it, you can see that when you get like hoarding cases Mm -hmm. or multiple dogs that that are sisters and brothers living together, they may experience the same trauma, but they're each going to deal with it differently. And that's going to be, you know, based on a lot of things. Obviously, it's it's going to be based a lot on genetics and DNA and, and, you know, does the mom or dad pass down any other trauma that they've had? Um, and so I, I think that there's a lot that plays in it. And I don't think there's any study out right now that has kind of measured that. And how does that look differently when you're looking at litter mates, um, you know, handling trauma? But that, that is something that can happen. There's one about um, human siblings. Oh, I'm sure there's got to be. Um, I mean, I'm just thinking, just sorry, I'm going to think out loud here. No, I think you should, because several I think times that's why this is um, probably going to end up as a four-parter, because this this is one of those that you can't really just write down those notes and just go directly yeah, down that path. I, just, I don't want to take it too far away from dogs, because I know that's why people are listening. Um, they're not here to hear, like, to be in therapy with us. But how, however, <laughs> I want to say, that, however, a lot of my clients have witnessed severe dogfights within their home. Therefore, there's trauma there. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times I'm also dealing with the trauma of owners. Yeah. Like dog guardians going through some yes. things. Yes. So I'm, I'm just sort of thinking out loud here, talking about siblings experiencing the same event, but remembering it differently. Does that make it less traumatic? For instance, there are things that I remember that my brothers don't and vice versa or things that I'm like, oh, that was awful. And they're like, yeah, no, it wasn't that bad. But then there are things that are like, oh, that was terrible. And I'm like, uh, was it? Was it because like I was at a point where I was already desensitized to something or you know what I mean? I mean, there's yeah. so many facets of this when you're Absolutely. talking about litter mates and siblings. Absolutely. And, um, or just multiple organisms in the same space seeing the same thing and experiencing the same thing well i think that when you start when you think like individuals at some point i mean as an individual by the time you get to a point where maybe you can be traumatized and again i am not psychologist or psychiatrist but neither one of us are psychiatrists no, but i have done lots of study for this episode 
I've done a lot of research for this episode. That was from a podcast Sorry, we used to listen podcast. to. It's, it was hilarious. Um, that was a very great podcast. It was a great podcast. But um, it, I think that it really is going to depend on kind of what does that starting look like, mm-hmm. right? As, again, going with that genetics and DNA, but also that starting process that maybe you had a strong start for five years, but then in that sixth year when your younger brother that something happened, but at six you were able to handle it better than that than your younger brother because he was younger and didn't have as much life experience, maybe not as much um, resiliency training, so to speak, mm-hmm. right, of dealing with stress and, and coming out of that. So oh, God, I don't there, know. there's so much that goes into it. It's it, and it's fascinating. It, it really is. I mean, it's it's not something we can get into, um, but that's yeah. But it's something to think about. Yeah. Um, when we are looking at trauma, there are, there are a lot of potential causes for trauma. Um, traffic accident, mm-hmm. right? It, you, don't, you don't have to have just a puppy. I mean, any dog that's in any type of accident like that, whether it's been hit by a car or in a, you know, in a wreck inside of a car, mm-hmm. that is very traumatic, right? And I, I've had a client who had two big traumas. One was a car wreck, and he hit his head in the front window, mm-hmm. windshield, she yeah, she in the front windshield. Um, and then her head got um, hit by a door. So she had two traumatic um, episodes mm-hmm. and probably a little bit of damage to the frontal cortex um, with the hit of the windshield because she was just an adolescent. Mm-hmm. So we have to take some of those things in consideration. Um, medical trauma, right? Let's say you have a young dog who has a broken leg or... Uh, has to have a young ACL surgery, mm-hmm. that can be very traumatic for and a very young dog. We hear that a lot from from our clients too of, you know, I got my dog and then something happened medically. They were isolated. Mm-hmm. They had to stay at the vet for six weeks. I mean, it was, and then they come home and they're like, we, ooh, this dog is totally different. Yep. We don't know what to do. And, and so a lot of times they sort of say, oh, well, they're under-socialized, especially if it was a young dog. Yes. It's, you know, they're like, oh, well. Oh, then we could just go show, socialize it more. Yeah. And that's not They're under-socialized because they were at the vet. Well, no, actually. There's trauma. There's and, trauma and, and, from and, this, this, like, horrible, like, painful event that they went through. Yeah. And it was scary. And also, I mean, when they're having to be, um, isolate it, whether it's at the vet or in the home, you have that prolonged social exposure mm-hmm. that creates trauma. Um, not feeling safe if they're in a household that has scary children, uh, fighting parents, um, somebody like me who really gets mad at softball and football. Um, <laughs> so uh, let's see. Um, physical deprivation, attachment rupture, where, and this you'll find a lot of times with dogs who have lost an owner. Right, and you think about grief, yeah. that attachment rupture. Now there's a decrease in feeling safe, um, and you've lost your attachment, mm-hmm. and so that is hard for dogs. And, and and that's where you'll get a lot of dogs that come into a new home, and they think this is such a perfect dog when the dog is truly just in grief mode, um, and dealing with that trauma and learning how to deal with that trauma. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's just so many things that can can transpire within a dog's developmental stages and just in life, right? There's no age that the dog gets to where trauma is no longer an issue. Oh, just like with humans. Yeah, it can happen at any time. I mean, grief and trauma happen 
at any age. Um, I mean, we, we'll get into resiliency and that sort of thing later. But thinking about Myers, though, I mean, he was he was rescued by Ark at what? He was less than a week old. His eyes were still closed. Less than a week? Yep. I thought it was... Less than a week. So... Okay. Um, I believe that's correct. Yeah, less than a week. Uh, he and his brother's eyes were still closed. They had no idea who his mother was. So they had to find... Uh, they had to do a little bottle feeding, and then they found a surrogate. Mm-hmm. And so that right there, the fact that they didn't know who his mother was, which meant there was no secure attachment. And um, and that during that... that trauma kind of not that trauma because well the trauma but a stressful moment during that developmental part Mm -hmm. of not feeling warmth right not finding food um not knowing where you are what you're doing there's no guidance there um and then you get taken completely out of anything you've ever known which is just by hearing Mm -hmm. by that point and um and yeah i mean that that can be a scary thing which for the record no arc did the right thing but i mean (laughs) oh it was a hoarding case (laughs) they yeah absolutely not arc did not cause the trauma. No, Animal Rescue Corps like, does a-, a phenomenal job at getting, they get a lot of dogs that have trauma, right? They oh, deal sure. with a lot of yeah. dogs that have trauma yeah. and uh, just with the situation. But again, you look at these hoarding cases, Meyer's brother may not have one bit of trauma, right? right. I, right. I wish I could find them. So I need to, to see if they have any, I would love to find them to see if there are any issues, mm-hmm. but just to see if he is experiencing kind of some of the same things we see with Myers. Mm-hmm. And I'm still learning kind of what those traumas are with him. I can see the attachment thing for him. Um, him having a difficult time settling with like one person and not knowing where he should go. If he should go to you or he should go to me. Like, you know, I, I can, yeah, I can see that. It's really something when I watch him, he's starting to ask me for more attachment Mm -hmm. and um and i love that and you know and that's something we'll we'll kind of get into talking about how a lot of people think or they've been told by traditional trainers that their dog is attention seeking and shouldn't be trying to dominate you well is your dog just coming over to tell you i need something because you're their secure attachment Mm -hmm. Yeah, he comes over and he bothers me while I'm working. He's scratching my arm. He wants to get in my lap. And I'm like, buddy, I can't type if you're up here and I got to do this. But then I think about, you know what? I can give him five minutes Mm -hmm. and I'll pick him up, put him in my lap. He loves to be kind of that hug tight. He may or may not fall asleep or I may just put him back in the floor. He may jump in the floor when he's done. But I'm learning that if he's coming to me like that, Mm -hmm. he needs something. Yeah. Right. And we need to be aware of that. Mm-hmm. And we may not know exactly what that trauma looks like or how it's completely affecting his day-to-day life, but I'm going to continue watching and observing and making notes and and really trying to figure out what those little things are. Mm-hmm. But by understanding what's happening in the brain, that helps a lot, a whole lot. Um, some of the potential factors um, that these dogs, you know, feel is, is inescapability. And I'll go ahead and tell you that we're going to be really bitching. I, at least I know I am. I'm going to be bitching about aversive trainers. And I'm <laughs> more than be, usual, you mean? More than usual. Okay. Um, because. Do I just need to go get the bottle? You might. And bring it in. <laughs> because every aversive trainer, every balanced trainer 
every board and train trainer needs to listen to this episode. If you really want to know what you're doing to these dogs, listen to this episode. And if your trainer doesn't understand how your dog's lifestyle, genetics, DNA, all factor in the past, um, the environment they're in. If, if your trainer doesn't understand this, then I'm encouraging you to keep shopping mm-hmm. because I do believe that it's irresponsible to try to train dogs. And really we need to get away from the training obedience stuff um, to do this without truly understanding the workings that are inside this living organism. I mean, you can't grow plants without understanding the soil, how roots work, how the environment affects things. And I think that when we're taking something as alive as a dog and as individual as a dog, and then just being like, nothing matters except what I tell you to do. That's a real problem for me. I think that's ethical. Why even have a dog in your house? Some people just, because some people grew up this way, right? Some people grew up knowing that this is, oh, this is how you train dogs. My daddy always trained the dog. You know, this is what my daddy would do or, um, you know, whatever. What relationship do you have? They're just there. They're just there. Exactly. Because a lot of people, when growing up, my dogs were just there. We would pet them. We'd love on them, but they were just there. To me, they weren't a, my best friend. They were just a part of our household because ours were outside. We spent a lot of time outside, but we had a fenced-in deck, three-deck area with a pool. Mm-hmm. The dogs weren't allowed in there. They were not allowed inside the fence. They lived outside the fence, which was not fenced. No, I get that. Right? I mean, we we grew up without fences, um, and our dogs were mostly outside. They were mostly outdoor dogs. But they were, I mean, my mom always had a small dog that was always inside. She always had Maltese. <laughs> and then we always had, you know, like our shelter dogs. That right. Were mutts. But they they came in. when If it was really cold, they came inside. But they slept in the garage at night. And they had their little corner. Um, but they were never just there. Like, they were always... We had this one terrier. This is a side. This is totally side story. That's right. People uh, may already need a break from it. I, Ginger and uh, my my dad and one of my brothers went to the shelter, and they're like, "We're going to get a dog." And Ginger was exactly the color that you would think she is, and she was this. Well, she was probably about the size of Isabella, height wise, um, medium sized dog. And my dad, and my brother walked up to the fence, and she snarled and growled <laughs> at every dog around her and almost attacked them. She'd been there for a while. She'd been there for a minute. And my dad's like, that's the one. Because she was like, I'm getting out of here. In my, da- in my dad's mind, he's like, she was telling me she was getting out of here, bitches. Wow. When in re- like most people would have seen that and been like, They'd be like uh-uh, hell I can't to the that no. dog is even here. Like I have my little child here with me. That dog is going to kill my kid. Whatever. And he loaded her up in the truck because that's what you do. Load her up in the back of the truck and brought her home. And we had Ginger. And let me tell you, this dog, she was probably 17 when she passed away. And, and she was that dog that went out in the woods. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, she yep. 
bless her heart. She was the best dog. And our elementary school was, oh gosh, a good mile and a half, two miles from our house. It was, it was a minute. I was in my first grade class and our first grade class had like a back door and my teacher had it open that day because it was a warm day. Like she had the back door. Love that when they used to do that. Suddenly this dog walks into my classroom (laughs) and everybody's like, there's a dog. There's a dog. Cause that's exactly what it sounded like with first graders in, (laughs) in Ash County, North Carolina. There's a dog. There's a dog. And this dog walks in. I was like, it's ginger. I mean, got her seven dust on her back and everything. Oh my goodness. Y'all, if you want to know, you know now. So she, and my mom was already back home. She'd already dropped us off at school. This is like two hours later. This dog walks in. She's like, hey, bitches, my people are here. I, got, I want to get here building. before science, class. She stayed in our classroom all day. Uh-uh. Yeah. Yeah. Miss Rash called my mom and was like, hey, uh, your dog's here. She just let her stay all let day. Let her stay with us all day long. She read with us. She And that, she followed us to school several times. That is really sweet. And then my mom would just load her back. I love the, the fact that your teacher was like, yeah, well, just let her stay. Because I was like, you know how much it probably, once after the initial excitement of first graders, <laughs> it probably calmed them down. Because you'd be like, if you're calm, Ginger can stay. She oh, can she lay did. with us. Oh, use, she did great. You use Ginger, man. Oh, she did. She did. She, she's like, if y'all, if y'all are good, Ginger can stay. If not, I'm going to call Brittany's mom. She's going to have to come get her. Oh, wow. Or she did go call my mom. I was like, your dog came <laughs> your up dog here. Your dog is here. By the way, it's a your, dog. Your dog is here. <laughs> I'll never, that was the greatest thing. But the, all that to say, like, our, even though our dogs were indoor, outdoor, they were always part of our family. So right. I never experienced, like, aversive. You are lucky. I am. And... Even, I didn't either because we didn't train our dogs. Well, so. even looking at like my friend's dogs who sort of had the same situations, like they were there, but they were part of the family. Even if they stayed outside, like they were taken care of, they usually had a job to do. Yeah. And, uh, and, that well, and that's, that's when you were so. giving them all the enrichment in the world. Oh yeah, right? Our dogs got, never had a problem. The biggest issue was other dogs. There'd be occasional dog fights, but getting hit oh, by yeah. car. That we, was the biggest. Our neighbor also had a dog named Ginger. And they cute. They'd sometimes get into it. Yeah, I mean, they had territory part. wars. I also got. I also got into it with one of my neighbor friends that we grew up together. <laughs> exactly. They All were. The they were All a girl time. and two boys, and then me and my brother. Yeah, and you know they'd pick on me, and I finally put his butt in a headlock and a girl. bloodied that nose. And then this many years later, I think I saw him about what eight years ago for training. I think maybe Jeff, if you're listening, I'm talking about you, boy, knock you out, son. Oh my god. You did. Yeah. yeah so so when we talk about so as I'm going through those potential factors, that's where that kind of just so you guys know I'm gonna be I'm gonna be really it's gonna be rough on the balanced and aversive methods mm-hmm. with this because when you really understand what it does. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so um the potential factors of trauma is inescapability, um feeling of total helplessness, which is learned helplessness learned helplessness, which is what we've talked about in the past. Um, it's such a sad thing. Uh, possible threat to life. Uh, let's say lacking the skills to cope, which goes back into 
genetics, DNA, you know, what would the rearing look like? What did the environment look like as you were in developmental phases and stages? And were you taught the skills? Um, again, going back to that, not feeling safe, right? The number one thing for a dog is to feel safe. And, and that's why we want to make sure that we're always that safety, that that safety anchor. That's what we need to be. We don't need to be the one that's causing the trauma to our dogs. Um, no place, no safe place for recovery, right? If you have a household that's constantly in turmoil, and this isn't just like a household that's fighting, but if you have three kids that are under the age of eight and they're screaming and running all day long, they're not, they don't have a safe place to recover from that stress. Mm -hmm. They may not be built to deal with that. Just like I've seen parents that can handle those kids running and screaming throughout the house all day. I'm not built for that. That is trauma for me. I'm not, that is, well, not trauma. It's stress. But if it was repeated stress, it's going to turn into trauma. So, you know, when dogs don't have a safe place to go and just decompress, it can turn into trauma. Um, And like I said, repetitive stress turns into trauma. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we have to think, all right, well, what's stressful? We go back to that. What's stressful to you may not be stressful to me, right? Speaking in front of people is not stressful to me at any stretch of the imagination. But you almost have a panic attack when you think about speaking in public to a group. Right. And I I don't think that's abnormal. I think the majority, I think I read a, a study that the majority of humans, that is one of their biggest fears is public speaking or public performance. Um, would I be traumatized? But it's stress. But if you had to do I, it over and over and over again, it could become a trauma. I, if it's stressful enough to you, right? I, I, I think I have a hard time with that one because that's sort of a... I don't know. I guess in my mind, I'm thinking trauma is something... for. Okay. I'll tell you why. Okay. Public speaking is not life or death. Okay. If I get up there and bomb, I'm not going to die. All right. Now, that being said, as someone with a background in trauma, a traumatic background, something that is stressful, like public speaking, to me, if I had, have not dealt with it in a healthy way, I've not coped with it, I don't have resiliency, I've not had a safe place to go talk about my trauma from the past, something stressful, normal stressful, I'm going to call it normal stressful, because at some point in your life, oh, absolutely, you're probably going to have to speak in public, or you're going to have to do something uncomfortable. You're going to have some stress. Now, period. If I get up on a stage and I have to talk to somebody, like I have to talk to an audience, without trauma, without past trauma, is that going to be stressful? Absolutely. Like, I'm not going to want to do that at all. Am I going to do it? Yeah, sure. Am I going to feel like there's a threat to my life? No. Like, I'm not going to die if I get up there. You know, I mean, unless someone's holding a gun to my head right. saying like, I mean, unless there is a physical, you know, right. strange situation going on. <laughs> um, but if you have past trauma and then someone is putting you in a situation that is stressful for you, and you have no say over it. You feel like you have no say over it. Is public speaking going to feel like a matter of life and death to me? 
possibly. It's like there's a stress scale. Right. And the same situation can be on, on the scale differently based on your past. Right. And based on just the situations you found yourself in, right. in the past. So if I got up on stage or I had to present at work, for instance, um, and I'm experiencing anxiety, that anxiety is going to present the same way it would if I was in a situation of like that calls learned helplessness or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's physically going to present the same way. And I think you're yep. going to say yes. it's because my neuro pathways oh, yes. have We're going been to talk about that brain. Yes. wired that way. That doesn't mean that public speaking is traumatic. It just means it's presenting itself that way because of past trauma. But stress and trauma, I would think there's going to be a little different of how the brain's being fired, but I am not a neurologist. I'm I, not a neuro- I think in a, in a normal... Anything, but... I say normal, quote unquote. If it's a black and white situation, yes. They would present differently, I would think. So I was, I was, for, I was talking to my therapist about this. You know, I, I, I told her I was like, I'm, I'm sort of getting to a place where my anxiety is decreasing. Like I'm working on that. Like I'm using the tools to get through that, um, where I can recognize a normal stressful situation. We are always going to be in some situation that's going to cause stress, whether it's family dynamics or traffic or your job. Like we're about to, we're at the end of Q1 and I'm over our budget, right? Nice. That's fucking stressful, right? right? But it's normal stressful. Right. And if you don't, but if you don't have the skills to cope with that, it can turn into something that's more stressful, eventually being traumatic. Exactly. Which is why I'm, where I would shut down. Yes. To like doing my job would cause me to shut down. That is possible. And that's the thing. So I'm talking to her and I'm like, I'm not experiencing anxiety. I'm I'm like, I'm retraining my brain. I'm reteaching myself. This is not life or death. This is a budget. These are numbers. (laughs) This is the finance guy. He's not mean. He just wants to know what the numbers are. Like, like, I mean, so that's the thing is, um, yes, prolonged stress can cause trauma to the point of like, I, I guess my thing is like, what? Where's the line? Because of that whole, and and you said it when you started the episode, where you like it feels like it's life or death. Now, yeah. granted, I understand that like a child is going to see an event, a traumatic event, differently than a, an adult. And our dogs go up to like the age of four year old, a toddler. Exactly. So something that happened to me as a three year old that was traumatic, whether it was or not, for, it it was. I mean. If it's traumatic, if you say it's traumatic, right. it was traumatic. Right. I mean. To you. I don't, nobody else gets to say to, to the well, same thing, whether it was traumatic or right. not. If the same thing happened to a 40-year-old, would it be traumatic is, eh. But at that moment, as a three-year-old, that was a life or death. Yes. 
my survival was threatened yes. by whatever that was. Um, yes. I remember when I was, uh, I was probably 10, maybe 11 or 12. I'm not even sure, actually. Maybe a little younger. Um, I was a baton twirler. And I was actually really good baton twirler. <laughs> Tennessee twirlers. I thank you. Um, and so we would go to competitions. Mm-hmm. And I was young enough that, of course, my dad actually, that was probably some of the only sporting events he ever missed. Uh, my twirling. <laughs> my mother was thrilled because that was like next step princess. But um, I remember this one time we had a um, competition and my mother was late. And I didn't know where she was. Mm-hmm. And she was never late. There was no phones. There was no trying to get in touch with her. I literally started panicking. And I was an independent child. But for some reason, just at that time, right? I remember that. I don't remember the minute details, but I remembered enough. Um, oh, my God. Which is the first time I've actually ever really thought, about, damn, I do have a problem with abandonment. I think I've always had a problem. And I've never been really abandoned. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Yeah, see, this is the shit I'm talking about, right? But also DNA. DNA. Oh, yeah. DNA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, yeah. So there's a lot of... it's <laughs> a lot to it. I mean, <laughs> uh, did you know, though, my mama is afraid of speed bumps? Stop. She's slowly getting over it. All right. So we are going to get into how the trauma affects the brain. I wish I could see Brittany's face right now. I told you that they're going to have to come up. Otherwise, it just gets too heavy. And when we start talking about my trauma, I have to throw in something. Okay. Then we'll probably have to break here in a second because I poured extra, but it's going it's all right. fast. But also, okay. you know, look, we're already in uh, like 36 minutes in. Okay, let's go. Right? Let's go. I know. Let's rock this. Look, and I'm trying to slow down, right, to let it, <laughs> let it flow so people can really grab this. Because no, I'm okay with this being multiple episodes. All right. How trauma affects the brain. This is where it's going to get a little nerdy. It's going to get um, maybe a little challenging to keep up with. Just, I may throw in some little nuggets, but just just listen for the chunks. That's the best way I can kind of explain it. I'm going to do my best. I'm not a scientist, <laughs> right? Can you say, <sighs> yeah, all of the, the te- words? The, I think I can. If not, I'll just throw them on word. Um, when we are talking about trauma in the brain, just know that the entire brain all of the brain, all the parts, all the pieces, all the sections, it's all affected by trauma, period. Um, So if we're talking about like the right side of the brain, which is responsible for most actions and decisions and for controlling our emotions, right? So of course we have the emotions are placed in the back, but we're talking just right side right now. Um, But controlling our emotions and making us feel good or bad, right? So it's not telling us, to feel one way or the other. We, we have those choices on the right side. The left side um, is responsible for more complex tasks, um, but also for controlling emotions, but only for the bad. So there's no choice. It's just for the bad side. Yeah. So when we're, when we're thinking about trauma, the right side lights up more, right? which is the um, actions and decisions, uh, which is that that's where that reactivity kind of comes in, right? We, we become very active in those kind of Is that um, sort things. of like the f- uh, flight, fight? Yeah, we're going to be getting into that because we're going we're to break it. Yeah, we're going to break okay. that down too, okay. right? Because there's so much to it. Okay. Um, 
and then the the front becomes less active, which is what is the front? Our decision-making part, mm-hmm. right? So the right side. It's like your brain is like, no, I'm doing this for you right now. Yes. I'm going to control your body and you have no, yep. you have no decision-making. In yeah, because the connections are all disrupted. Right, okay. And they can't communicate effectively. Right, because you don't have one spot in your brain making a decision. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a few that can fire off of each other. They can all fire at the same time, right? And so there are different firing techniques that happen. They all stay in their lane, though. They're yes. like, if this is happening... They stay in their lane. Then you're taking over. Right, but if the back... The back can become very hyperactive, and then um, the front can become less active. So our back is our emotion. Mm-hmm. Our front is our decision-making, mm-hmm. right? And we're going to get into those little pieces and parts in a little bit. But... Um, that again, it just, all the connections are not communicating. So the right side's saying one thing, the left side's like, oh my God, the, the back side's like, what are we doing? I'm just about to explode. And the front side's like, I'm just clueless. I'm on vacation. I, I mean, it's just, there are so many things happening, which is no control over the, the, the organism that's attached to that. Well, and front is also impulse control, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Correct. So I'm thinking of a dog with zero control, zero ability to uh, regulate, zero ability to make decisions or problem solve. I'm thinking trauma. Yeah, you are, you're like long. already like jumping up on like my page two here. Oh, sorry. No, nope, that's great. But that is, that's it's because it's all connected. Mm-hmm. It all plays off of each other. Right? And this is why it's so important that people understand how this trauma truly is affecting their dog, because I think you'll have a lot more patience and a lot more understanding and, and empathy for your dog once you understand it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we took a quick break, and we come back, and Britt's like, I can't say that uh, MAGA, I'm like, uh, amygdala? And she's like, yeah, but no, it's another word, it's a... What is the word? And I mean, it's from Waterboy. I'm like, we're really thinking about how to say smart words correctly from Waterboy. I don't know what's happening. So there you go. Are you good now? I'm good. You sure? I've been good this whole time. You're just making fun of me. It's fine. Well, I mean, come on. That was that was amazing. But yeah, have you thought of the word yet? <laughs> okay. It's going to come to me. All right. I'm not, I, don't, I mean, I've seen the movie. I just, it's been a long time. All right. Let's get into more brain power here. All right. We're going to start out with talking about the default mode network. This is the brain's rest mode. All right. So there's actually a study of individuals with PTSD. Um, with PTSD, this area... The default network mode is not active. We'll go DNM. Nope. DMN what? from here on out. So I, I would probably be better saying it. This is going to be, y'all, this is how it's going to go. We're both going to be like, ugh. All right. So no, the DMN, we- I know. But no, there's a study of individuals, PTSD. This area is not activated. In other words, there's no rest. So right? there's no rest mode. Hyper vigilant. Yes. Never resting. Very restless humans. Yeah, they're they're very hyper vigilant of their environment, mm-hmm. and it's that whole when's that next shoe going to drop mm-hmm. kind of thing, right? That we've talked about before. However, once there is a threat, that activates. 
Um, and it becomes active, but what it does is it now will tap into any of the behaviors that were done previously in this situation. Because it's slowing down enough to decide what the next step is? I guess so. Because again, I'm not a neurological. Also, I I don't study neurology for, for, for anything, but... It's, I mean, it gets really like, I'm trying to keep it simple, right? But that, keep in mind that when you have a dog who a lot of people say, my dog's hyperactive, my dog doesn't rest well. Mm-hmm. Well, do they not know how? Because their brain can't. And this is why a lot of times I talk about giving dogs quiet places mm-hmm. and trying to trick the brain into tapping back into that default network mode. Mm-hmm. Right, because we have to train it to do so. So when I'm talking, go to a separate room with lavender, white noise, something like that to help your dog. Um, like Myers is learning to tap back into that. He goes into his crate and he's doing a better job at going in there to rest. But basically, they can't, the brain can't rest. Forced, um, They're just basically looking for external threats. And then once it's under threat, it becomes active, but the actions are probably going to be based on the previous experience. And the thing is, trauma early in life actually disrupts the functioning and connectivity of the DMN. So it's where we talk about the baseline changes, Mm -hmm. right? So some, you know, a lot of baselines are just, hey, we're in rest mode. We don't have to think. Um, I think about this with you. My brain, I can sit there and just... I did a really good job today at just letting my brain stay in rest mode. I mean, I, I hung out in the in the garage with a beer in my chair, right? I sat on the back deck in the sun. I just sat just listening to a little music. Sometimes I wasn't listening to music. I did a really good job today at trying to just get into that. Your brain doesn't stop. Yeah, good for you. I know. But that's where that mindfulness comes in. Mm-hmm. And it can actually help refocus the brain. Well, it re it retrains. Well, and like I mean, the, mindfulness is going to first be a management tool for sure, right? Yeah, so that you can be in the moment and, and keep your brain where you are instead of letting it wander, because mm-hmm. your brain wanders quite a bit. Like we could be sitting there watching a movie, and all of a sudden you're adding food to the grocery list from Instacart which is not a sponsor. They could be if they want to be. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so this is unrelated to dogs because dogs don't can't consciously meditate. <laughs> it's not something dogs do. This is something we do. I mean, we recognize it works. And I know we're going to talk later about how to yes. help dogs who... Yeah, don't worry. We're not just going to tell you about trauma. We're going to help you deal with trauma. Talk about it later, which is why it's going to be such, Um, you know. But from a human standpoint, um, so we've talked about psychiatrists and therapists on the show before. It's not a weird thing. Nope. Um, I met with a new psychiatrist this week, who is like, "What, what, what triggers your anxiety?" And I was like, "I don't have a trigger." And she's like, "Yeah, you do." Anxiety doesn't not have a trigger. I was like, well, I mean, it's worse at these times and this time. She's like, yeah, but what is the trigger? And I was like, it's just there. Breathing? I'm like, waking (laughs) up? I don't fucking know. Like, it's just there. She goes, you 
had childhood trauma? Yes. I said, well, yeah. She goes, oh, okay, then. You have PTSD. I was like, what? Like, right, because we think PTSD are for those that have been in the military, that have been to war zones, or that have right. had a really major like crime committed right. against them, right? We don't think about during those developmental times that yeah. were so important for secure attachments, safety. Right. Obviously, there was more that went into this before she said this. Right. She didn't, she just was like, oh, yeah, PTSD after two seconds of talking. But I was like, oh, she's like, you're hypervigilant. You never rest. You're anxious all the time because you're waiting for a threat. There's always a threat. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I want to high five her. She's I'll be like, like, you want to go to lunch? She's like, okay. I mean, she wasn't, she wasn't mean. She was so no. matter of fact that it, it took me aback. Right. I was like, Oh, that hurts. I'm like, can I just pick at your brain? I was like, <laughs> Cause maybe, I want to learn more. Maybe be warm and fuzzy with me. Jesus Christ. Like, I can't like, be warm and fuzzy. I got shit to do. <laughs> She's like, you got a therapist for that. <laughs> you got a therapist. Like, That's you- <laughs> right. You got a therapist for that. And it takes, it takes a village y'all. No, it does. And it's the same thing here. It, it's like, I can't, it does. I can't prescribe medication. Right. Um, and that is why I need to be able to work along with your veterinarian or we need to work with a holistic veterinarian and mm-hmm. right. It takes a village because this is not a training issue. Y'all need to know this right up front. This is not a training issue. This is training isn't gonna fix right. trauma. Yeah, right? me going and getting on a treadmill is not gonna fix and your trauma. training for a marathon or doing or learning how brain to, to exercises. Yeah, exactly. I mean like these things are not going to solve no. the underlying issue. No. And so when I told her, of course, she already knew my, who my therapist was and, and that sort of thing. It wasn't like. Right. Um, she's, y'all, if if you're going to a psychiatrist who is not recommending that you're also going to a therapist. Maybe find a new psychiatrist. Maybe find a new psychiatrist. Uh, that was a requirement for me getting in with her. Um, she's like, okay, so what I need you and your therapist to work on is. This trauma, yeah. this PTSD that yep. you don't recognize you have. Like this was, this was new for me because I'm like, I feel like I, I thought that was fixed. I thought that wasn't an issue. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, oh, oh, so you learned how to suppress it? Yeah. Wow, that doesn't oh. work, does it, Caesar? Weird. Weird how like just trying to fit in and pretend it doesn't exist. Yeah, suppressing behavior doesn't fix a damn thing. It just comes out somewhere else. See, I've already started right there. No. And and that was and that's her thing too, is like, yeah, I'll give you medication. Because I do believe you need it. Right. However, there are other things that you need to do. Absolutely. Sometimes medication, and that's something we'll get into as Mm -hmm. far as when's the right time to use it and when's not. Right. Which we'll get in at part two or three. We don't know. Or four. It's probably gonna be three, four. (laughs) Who knows? Um yeah, so so that is the thing is that um, when you have a dog that just can't stop, mm-hmm. it's we have to look at is this a inability to stop because there's too much physical energy, or are we dealing with um, the inability to just go into rest mode, mm-hmm. right? Chemically and you know neurologically. The other little area that it will mess with is the central executive network. Which is in charge of problem solving. That sounds so you, like that sounds you brought like a that up. Real small right? issue of the problem solving. Well, it's like if you're feeling trapped you, and you can't figure out what's wrong, right? 
So there's mm-hmm. no problem solving there. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, your short-term memory is affected by the central executive network. Um, a lot of dogs actually will can zone out or disassociate because this is affected so much. Mm-hmm. And right, so then it looks like they're just okay with what's happening. They're just like, this is great. Yeah, it's this fun. is this is why I I'm say no it. reactivity does not mean comfort. Yep. No reactivity does not mean comfort. Yep. Right? Um, these dogs have a problem sustaining attention and focus when this is affected. So trauma will have, um, will create problems with um, just attention, which is going to turn into issues with learning mm-hmm. um, and even ingesting what they're learning. So again, it... it People think, well, my dog is just dumb or my dog is too reactive to problem solve or he, he keeps doing the same thing over and over and over and again. Well, he's not choosing this. This is literally happening in his brain. He has no control over it. Just like if it, if it happens to a human, there's no control. Mm-hmm. There's no control. Um, and it's funny because, I mean, I've had people that, you know, look at my trauma and think that my reaction to that trauma was stupid was ridiculous, was too emotional, was whatever. Mm. It's not their trauma. Right. Right. So they're not, they don't understand where I was coming from. And I've lost friends over it because they don't understand. Yeah. Which means they're not really a, they weren't a true friend to start with. Right. Or they're so caught up in their own world. They have no thought process anywhere else. Right. Um, But it's, it's just, it's something that every, I think everybody has those moments that we need to, to be, have more empathy for each mm-hmm. other and for, you know, our dogs. You look like you were about to say something. I was, and, and it this triggered something that my brother said to me several years ago. We were sitting in our garage. <laughs> nice. We, our garage think, is a great garage I to think sit in were, with the door open. You were in bed, and, and Riley and I were out there talking. Oh, yeah. If it was you and Riley, I was totally in bed. And, uh... He said something, and he had, he's uh, since out of the military, but he said something to me that has stuck with me for, for like this whole time, for years. And he said, you know, I was in the, he was shopping somewhere. I'm going to say a mall. I don't know that there are malls anymore, but if that's a thing, I don't know. He was, he was out somewhere in a shopping center, and a young girl, he said she couldn't have been more than sixth grade. Yeah, and I think we were talking about this because of Rose. Something had happened with Rose and like our niece. We felt like maybe she was overreacting at the time. And, and he's like, listen, let me tell you something. This girl was freaking out because her phone wouldn't work. Her cell phone wouldn't work. And he's like, I could see people around me getting irritated at her because she was freaking out about like this first world problem right he said but i saw her and she's a child and this might have been the worst thing that's ever happened to her and if it is good right like i'm glad that's the worst thing worst thing right absolutely he's like in that that in that moment that was the most traumatic thing that's ever happened to her have we as siblings collectively like been through some shit yes but to compare someone's like to compare traumas to do the pain Olympics 
as right as an old friend said, they called it the Pain Olympics. <laughs> it's not fair. You right. have to look at someone where they are, what is happening, what's yep. what's their background, what's their DNA, what have they been through before. And when he said that, I was like, oh, man, I've never thought of it that way. Like, that moment was traumatic for her. Yeah. She was freaking the fuck out. Yeah. The rest of us have been like, great. My, Wait, my phone doesn't dead. work. Yay. <laughs> I have an excuse yeah. to get away from it. But I, I think we that, also yeah. grew up without cell phones. So we're like, it's fine. We lived. And so for him, with his experience, to be like, look, like... We think it's dumb, but yeah. it, to her, that was, yeah, probably the worst thing that's ever happened to her yeah. so far. Yeah. And, yeah, and we need to be respectful. We need to be respectful of not only what our friends and family go through, but with our dogs. I mean, just because mm-hmm. you didn't see it or because it didn't seem like a big deal to you, like all those people that love to scare their young puppies wearing Halloween masks and things yeah. like that, that is horrible. Um, and honestly, those that... <sighs> And I really kind of wanted to do this until I started doing too much research. Everything has taken the fun out of things for me sometimes. Um, that whole game of where you would sit on TikTok, where people would oh, hold the blanket. the blanket up, and then they would leave and drop the blanket, and the dog would be like, what the hell? That is very scary for a dog because you're their secure attachment. And then you're not there anymore. And then you're not there, right? And if they can't find you, that can be very traumatic. Right. So again, it, it sometimes it takes a lot of fun. The, well, and I've seen that video done with cats. Yes. With birds. I've seen it done with birds. Do cats really care? Okay. I'm going to be real. In the cat videos, they don't really care. No, the cats be but, like, I'm hungry. <laughs> um, but you're going to feed me still, right? Right. Somebody's going to feed me, right? You nope, put that bir- in, the, in the... Birds. Yeah. Really? The birds. I've seen people do it with birds. And the birds freak out. I can imagine. Yeah, because they are very close knit. Yeah. And I'm like, that is so cruel. Please stop doing it. If you're doing, if y'all, y'all considering doing that. Please, well, that's the whole thing of when, we, when we've been begging people to stop videoing shaming your dog. That's not no, funny. No, it's, it's, not. it's sad. Um, don't do it. But uh, let's continue with some of these networks because we have another network. Sorry. That's all right. <laughs> Sorry, um, this, is why, this is the way this is going to go. And this is why I said we're going to make this into multiple parts. Um, which is going to be good for you guys too. The salient network. All right. That is where we decide what's most important. Now, um, it's not just environmentally what's important, but what internally is important. All right. I mean, if you have any thoughts, because you're, I can see your face working. And no, I, I just, like I sometimes I want to hold up for a second to see. I don't know what, I don't. I don't know this term, so oh, okay. I don't. I don't right. know what it means when you say so. Salient, what's salient is just most important, right? Salient, it really, definition is kind of most important. So it's basically what's the what's most important in this moment. Usually, it's survival, right? I would say with so, most like, um, organisms, so like what's be. most important and what's aversive for the individual at that time. Okay, right. So when trauma is experienced, actually, the salient network goes offline. So you have no ability to think about what's most important in this moment. Because survival is most important. Yes, but it's still affected to where you can't necessarily make the right choices. So again, we kind of go to that reactivity where there's no thought process that's happened here. It's just whatever has been created into a habit, which we'll get into. 
Okay. Right? I know. They're all going to come together. I'm confused. I know. It's all going to come together. Okay. Right? And again, these aren't the most important things to remember the terms. The biggest is to understand that these dogs have a serious issue at even functioning when trauma has occurred in the brain. They're not choosing. That's Mm -hmm. the thing is you're not choosing any of this. Right. But it's happening. Now, if the salient network is overactive, then you have a dog who has hyperarousal or hypervigilance. Mm-hmm. If you have a do- um, one that's underactive, it's actually going to result in a disconnection um, where the dog is going to be more withdrawn. So someone um, who dissociates whenever... Yeah. So even if the threat's still there, they're just going to sit there and deal with it. Okay. They're because shut down. Pretty much. Okay. All right. Um, another one, uh, it's the PAG, and I just decided I'm not going to try to say it. Okay. So if y'all want to look up PAG, you'll find what the word is. But I will tell you, it, it is actually, it holds the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. That's, okay. all you, that's what you need to know about okay. that. Um, so it's the threat detection part of the brain. And this is where we're coming in with our um, fight or flight. That's with our sympathetic nervous system and then with our um freeze which everyone's heard of but you also have the faint and then there's fawn mm-hmm. fawn is a shutdown which we're going to talk a little bit more which about people in a little bit. don't really talk about it they only they talk don't. about fight or flight yes and- or freeze well which but freeze can also turn into fawn fawn freeze to say- fawn right so that's just the kind of the shutdown that's the parasympathetic nervous system that's affected okay so they're actually they're they're in charge of two different and then you got the innate alarm system um, which is the subconscious stimuli that's processed before the thinking brain. In, you said innate. What a, innate. Innate. Yes, okay. that's what I said. Innate. I'm like, well, no, you said it very quickly. I, just I know, and I said sure. I was going to slow down, didn't I? Yeah, I just want to make sure. I sped up. I just want to make sure. I just get so covered. into this. Innate. Yeah. All right, okay. alarm system. Um, basically where the dog's going to react before they're aware of what they're doing. And I'm sure that that innate part of us has probably saved... A lot of humans, when everything shuts down in our brains, there's an innate part of us that just... Survival. Goes in, yeah. Yep, survival mode. You just... You do what you have to do. And you see red or black or whatever you see and don't see. (laughs) Right. And it's funny how we talk about how humans do this, right? Um, But then we don't think about that the dogs do this too. All we think about is my dog's being reactive and I need to put a choke chain on him and a prong collar and a shock collar, all three. And I'm going to stop him from barking at the shoulder dog. And then I just fixed him in two weeks to a boarding train. Your accent got really interesting there. I just had to. Otherwise, uh... you know, it's funny. I wonder, did, did this start with domestication? I mean... Obviously, there are survival techniques that wild animals... Well, a lot of these are put in place for, number one, survival. Right. Right? You got to go. But those are, those are natural. Yes. That doesn't necessarily mean trauma. Correct. These are natural things that are put in the brain for survival. The problem right. is that these things are affected when trauma has happened. Which are likely... It's, it will knock them offline. There's no communication. Us. That's what I'm I don't, asking. I don't know. I don't know if it would be because of us. Probably. I would imagine that. And I think there's a Do study you think coming wild, up. Wild animals are probably more resilient yes. because they have. Yes, because they've had more practice. And they have the tools. Yes. So when we look at one of the most, one of the interesting things that's coming out now is the study of street dogs. Oh, okay. Street dogs, right? 
they're going to have that capability of having more resilience. Right. These because videos we see of them yes, boarding trains absolutely. and going to get food. Good and problem solving skills, right? So the resiliency is up. Yeah. Because we've not taken away what's natural, which is why Kim Brophy and what she's been doing oh, yeah, yeah. with the For legs sure. and just talking about the genetics aspect of things in this enrichment and making sure that we're feeding those natural needs. Mm-hmm. That's why it's so important. And, you know, that's why I think that when I, when I see dogs that are feral dogs, mm-hmm. we don't have a ton in, in our area because all rescues want to rescue them. I say, mm-hmm. unless they're bothering somebody, leave them alone. They are handling things much better than the, than the domesticated dog that is not getting their needs met. These dogs, because there's a difference between feral dogs, stray dogs, um, you know, semi-feral dogs. There's, there's a whole category. But when we're talking true feral dogs, stop trapping them. You can trap them, spay, neuter if you want to, right? I mean, Do what you need. But, but unless they're vicious, which... Right, unless they're vicious. Like, yeah. unless they're really, truly, there's a problem, a safety issue, yeah. they're just fine. They don't need you. They're like a deer. They know you're a part of their life, or a part of their world, excuse me. They don't need you. And when you trap them, you're trapping a wild animal. Yeah. I think it's hard to distinguish uh, between the two, right? Like if it's a stray or feral. See, I feel like I can. Well, I mean, if you're... Oh, if you're just like going by and... You're just like, there's a dog out there and it doesn't have a collar on. Right. Well, you know, uh, know, yeah. A lot of times you can easily see by how do they look, mm-hmm. right? Do they look um, healthy? If they look healthy. It doesn't mean they actually came from a human, right? That's Trust the, me. That's the funny thing. Healthy, yeah. they can look just fine they being can, feral. They can get into my trash can. Oh, absolutely they can. I mean, I, if you guys have not seen, I don't know if I've ever posted that. I know it's on, um, oh, you know, I didn't play it. Actually, I don't think I played it the last communication seminar. But I have one where I was meeting a feral dog. This dog looked healthy, looked like it belonged to somebody. This dog had no use for me. It had phenomenal calming signals, phenomenal communication oh, skills. No, that dog was was not aggressive, um, but I was not a part of its inner circle, and I was not needed to be a part of that inner circle. So I think that we do mess up a lot on not meeting some of those needs and trying to... To, I think that we've kind of come so far at saying, you know, pets are just pets and we're just going to keep them at home and they're going to lay in the crate and they're going to go out for a walk. And, and that's become the norm where we have to change that. We need to make the norm different by truly understanding them in more depth. And I hope that through this trauma, um, you know, these trauma episodes, that whether your dog deals with trauma or not, that you get a true understanding of the importance of ensuring about building resilience, making sure that we're giving them the skills that they need and meeting their um, enrichment and, and doing all the right things. Yeah. I'm, so I'm thinking about the dog you're talking about, the feral dog yeah. you're talking about, and they, they'd put it on a, it wasn't a long line because it could move. It was it, a, yeah, it was on a, it was on like a, um, what do you call that? It was like on a laundry line. A, so it was a running line, a run, a, a run yeah, line, a run line. Yeah. A um, run. <laughs> and it was in a backyard 
And I remember months after you had done this, they emailed you and said, he's eating out of my hand. And I remember thinking, oh my God, he's learned that that's the only way he can eat at this point. Like that's learned helplessness. So this dog who did not have trauma prior to this. The and dog he was, was living great. He was what? He was over a year. Oh, I'm sure. Yo, yeah, he was at least over a year. Was like, a ma- I, was, I told him, I was like, get him neutered. Ma- he's a mature dog. Yeah, give him, get him neutered. And then you need to drop him off wherever you found him because he's fine. He had his own life. Going. Yeah, he was fine. He's not going to live till he's 12. We, Let's be real. No, he's not, but he's going to have the best eight years of his life. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe five. Maybe and he's six. not eating kids. I mean, like. He's not eating kids. He's not being aggressive. Because <laughs> I leave him I know alone. that's what people worry about is like packs of dogs that attack they children. They don't. I mean, it happens, but like it's. Uh, pet dogs attack children. More I mean, than. That are in a pack, right. So this yeah. dog that you told me that. I was like, like, please release him. He's, he's now eating. They never use me again. <laughs> he's now eating out of my hand. And I'm like, this poor dog has learned. Okay, yeah. I in order to eat, I have to go to her. Yeah, congratulations! You took a captive. You you took an animal captive without his consent, and you're forcing him to do something which is that exactly, is not in his na- natural. Which is what we've all done with dogs, right? I mean, let's be real. That's what we've all done with dogs. But well, I know, but not when they're they were feral to start with, and we uprooted them from their life. Right, but there's a way to to do this. Yes. <laughs> There really is. And I was, uh, yeah, when when you said we're going to do an episode about trauma, he was the first, he was the first thing I thought about. I was like, this. He had no trauma, but now he does. I'm guessing he's, he's probably gone now. He's probably, probably passed away by now. But, um, but no, yeah. I, was I, many years ago, yeah. Yeah, but, but I was like, it, yay, he ate out of your hand. That was for you. Right. That was not for him. That was to make you feel, feel better. better. That was not for him. Yeah. If it was for him, we would have released him, like I said, wherever you found him, because he was just fine. I mean, was. I'm all about if you want to trap them, check on them, make sure they're healthy, make sure they're spayed or neutered, and then release them. We do it with cats. Why are we not doing it with dogs? Well, because I, I think the reason it's not done with dogs is because of the safety issue. With humans. Yeah, but if they become I don't even know the last time I've heard of a stray dog or a feral dog attacking a human. I don't know. I saw a video not long ago. But now that I'm thinking about it, I think it might have been a neighbor's dog. I was going to say. came into someone's yard. And yeah. That, okay. There's that video of the kid riding his little tricycle in the driveway. Yes. Yes. And the cat comes and like. Oh, yeah. Jacks the dog up. Yes. But now that I'm thinking about that, I don't. No, that was like a pity. I don't think that was a sh- That was a neighbor's dog. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I don't, yeah. I'm nuts, not shitting oh, on pity. No, 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 no. Because there was another one that was like a... Not shitting on pity. I don't know, lab or something. I mean, there's all kinds out there, y'all. It, it's not a breed problem, right? It's not a breed problem. So that was a neighbor. But that was like a neighbor's dog. I think it was a neighbor's dog. That wasn't like a yeah. feral No, dog. no. Because, it, I mean, it, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just, it's one of those crazy things. But I think that... With what we've talked about with that, I think that's where we need to stop okay. part one because <laughs> it, it really gets into part two is going to get into stress versus trauma. Um, mm. And we're going to talk about more of the brain on how it's affected. So I think that might be, you know, a good stopping point. 
Oh, I'm sorry that we derailed a couple of times. Well, I think it's important because I think giving these examples, it helps people to understand that it's not just a dog that dealt with abuse. You know, the amount of dogs oh, that I see with anxiety and fear and phobias have never been physically assaulted. Okay, so that's, that's what we didn't get into. And we're going to. Not all trauma is caused yes. with dogs. Correct. With dogs from physical abuse. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely not. Um, just like with humans the threat of it oh can we talk shock collars now oh oh wow yeah that <laughs> shit's gonna get big y'all just have to tune in next week in the meantime listen in the meantime <laughs> we're gonna go finish our wine <laughs> we are gonna finish our wine but and i want you <laughs> i want you to go take care of yourself mm. i want yes. to make sure that you are if you need to go meditate if you need to go smell a really good candle if you need to go pet talk your to your dog. best friend pet your dog <laughs> cuddle with your cat Drink a big ass margarita. Whatever you need to do, I need you to take care of yourself right this moment. Um, and then I want you to go love on your dog, especially if you think your dog has suffered from trauma. I want you to go love on him and I want you to look at him in the face and say, I get you. Unless that's confrontational to them. Then, then maybe- just say it from behind their heads or say it from <laughs> across the room. It's up to you. You guys have a great week.